Under the microscope on Metro FM Talk. Angelo, good evening, man. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, uh, my apologies, a bit late though, but uh, certainly uh, no less important. Good evening to you. Good evening to you and to your listeners. And that really was an important conversation that you were having with the previous caller. No, no, indeed. And it, it's certainly something that... Uh, so so we have this feature that we call the Shop Stewards Corner every Monday. And we try and unpack what's happening on the shop floor. And uh, we often get you know many workers who, who reach out to us in the fashion that Siabonga has done. And uh, we try and bring some of the you know different parties uh, to this particular issue for all of them to account. Because I, I think it's all good and well to have all of these rights and protections and uh, everything else... Uh, written in law, but uh, if people aren't experiencing it on the ground, then it certainly, uh, uh, you know, loses the kind of um, redistributory or even progressive impact. Uh, and I guess it's related to also what I'd like to talk to you about. Um, and this uh, looming presence of uh, F.W. de Klerk, uh, his own vantage point and uh, philosophical views about apartheid, and how that looms over I guess the tasks of national reconstruction and the tasks of reconciliation. Uh, and maybe the first question for me, Angelo, is, uh, you know, are, are we investing too much uh, in the acknowledgement by, uh, you know, a wide cross-section of people within the white community uh, who were in political or even economic power? Are, are we maybe investing too much on their acknowledgement of what actually happened in this country? So I think firstly, it's important for us to distinguish between people who have power in this moment and people who have power in the past. And mm. Mr. de Klerk has no real political power at the moment. Um, but as somebody who had political power in the past, he must certainly have a more accurate assessment of what that past looked like. Mm. When it comes to the contemporary moment, it isn't about whether people are white or black. It is about whether or not they have particular kinds of power, whether it's economic or political, and how they use that power to make sense of the past, the present, and how they determine the future. Mm. And here, somebody like F.W. de Klerk, abhorrent as his views are, I think takes up far too much of our energy in South Africa's mm, politics. Mm. If one listens to the problems of Siamonga just outlined them, that people have at the coal face of everyday life. And his problem is not exceptional. The gap between those who have and those who have not is growing bigger. We have profits over people as the mechanism that drives the society, which explains partly some of the joblessness that we have paying all this attention to the utterances of a man who is clearly at the end of his life and way past the relevance of his political life, is, I think, taking up some of our time and energy that would probably be better spent elsewhere. It reminds me of Tony Morrison, who says, the function of racism is to distract you, mm. to distract you from your real work, because you constantly have to defend yourself against baseless, silly, foolish, and ridiculous but Angela, accusations. But, Angela, how much of, I guess, the attention that we are dedicating to not only the person of F.W. de Klerk, but also what he signifies. How much of that is a battle for history, right? How much of that is a battle for memory? Because a lot of what he says is, you know, he has this view that, you know, the ANC, uh, SACP and the Soviet acolytes are trying, uh, you know, to rewrite history. They're trying to retell what, in essence, has happened here. And so, in many ways, I guess the task of, of fighting back against his own memorialization is also uh, as much a historic as it is, I guess, a contemporary task. Yes, and the question is not, you know, I think fighting back against F.W. Kerr's version of history um, might be something that some people want to do. Mm. But I'm far more interested in what is the history that young people and children are learning in schools. And if they're learning F.W. Kerr's version, then certainly we need a a vision, you know, we need to intervene. 
But I think it is important for ordinary citizens to also begin to realize that we should begin to trust ourselves. If we've taught our children well, they can disregard these kinds of views. Mm. Some of us lived in and survived apartheid South Africa, where F.W. the clerk's kind of vision of what history and the present was, was the dominant. And yet we were educated by family, by political organization, by awareness programs in schools, Mm. to know that that was propaganda and to understand something else. And critical literacy, critically literate education is therefore crucial. And this is therefore the fact that so many people in their response to F.W. de Klerk are introducing new levels of historical error. So his error is spectacular and you know, abysmal and shocking. Mm. But you cannot fight that error with new introdu- or the introduction of new errors. Sure, because sure. I think it's important for us to, all to understand our history and to understand history as an argument rather than as this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Mm. And how people interpret those past events is also part of the contestation. And there is certainly room for healthy contestation, but we cannot have a contestation where people are arguing and taking us into arguments that we have to respond to baseless facts or alternative histories. Mm. We can only make an argument about the significance of events if we agree on what those events were. Let's be specific, so Angela. To, I mean, I mean yeah? what are some of the, I guess, you know... Um, uh, mis-shots or mis-truths uh, that have been peddled here in response or, I guess, in confrontation with uh, the narrative that de Klerk presents? So, firstly, there is this assumption, you know, so firstly, there's de Klerk's assumption that apartheid was a crime against humanity only because of Soviet intervention, mm. as if there wasn't an entire United Nations meeting, right? Mm. Secondly, that this is all part of some Cold War position when actually it is in 2002 that the Rome Statutes, to which South Africa and various other countries are signatories to ensure universal human rights are respected and that people who are violators of, or gross violators of human rights are actually held accountable should their states not be able to. That, I think, is an indication that he has either switched off sometime in the 1990s and didn't pay attention to the significant piece of international law of which South Africa was centrally implicated in during the Omar al-Bashir events mm. in this country. So this is not something that kind of happened in 2002 and disappeared. This is a central piece of international legislation over which there has been contestation. And if he is forgetting that this actually existed, that's sad. If he misunderstood how apartheid became declared a crime against humanity in the the 20th century, in the 1900s, then that's again somebody who didn't pay attention. And that, that is truly what's worrying. And the fact that in his foundation, no one else who looked at that statement before it was released had access to this information, which you don't even need a library to do. I mean, you how reasonable to Google? How reasonable is it for us to say, really, you know, um, this is genuine ignorance, or is the uh, you know the feigning of ignorance here as part of a tactic to try and absolve yourself from what you've already said? I mean, it, it, you know, it's easy to come back and say, well, you know, I said that because I was misinformed and I really wasn't aware of what had happened. Um, and I certainly think, certainly from my own reading of history, that even the apartheid state and how closely they watched what came out of the UN about apartheid, about South Africa, uh, would have certainly been a bit more vigilant and a bit more informed than what uh, I think F.W. de Klerk is letting on. So this could be, you know, one, uh, the kind of performance of innocence, which I don't think it really is. Secondly, this could be a play on words and their meaning, which certainly F.W. de Klerk engaged in when he said, you know, this is what a crime is, and apartheid wasn't a crime in the way in which he's defining criminality. As if that kind of casuistry and wordplay really defines it, as if 
a crime against humanity is not specifically defined in international legislation. Mm. And secondly, it would not be a new position for F.W. De Kerk to claim that he didn't know certain things. Now, when he claimed that he didn't know certain things as president of the Republic of South Africa in its last apartheid paranoid years, that's slightly disingenuous. And people like Dumez and Terry Bell cover this in a book called Unfinished Business, mm. in which they look at his role in various kinds of issues of military action. Mm. For the man in 2020 to claim that he didn't know this is simply embarrassing. It is simply an act of self-humiliation, revealing his own intellectual fraudulence on this question, because this mm. is not a mistake that you sure. can make. This is a mistake that if you made it, you should quietly withdraw from public life mm. and realize that nothing that you say could have any kind of political significance for a country or a world going through the troubles and problems we have. Yeah. And it's the political irrelevance of people who seem to survive in the public domain because if. they establish foundations. And I have no enmity towards Mr. Declare, mm. but this particular statement tells me that this is somebody who should be going gently into that good night. Indeed. He should certainly not be taking up our time. Indeed. Because he has other equivalents in the South African political body who make statements that we must all then respond, whether yeah. it is about HIV AIDS, um, whether it is about you know the way in which race works. These are all people who really should not be talking sure. to us in public because they distract. Okay. Angela, I want you to take a listen to the next clip because I think a lot of it also has to do with uh, his own... Uh, you know, uh, or the attribution of blame to F.W. de Klerk for some of the things that have happened. And uh, it comes from the TRC and uh, a very emotional observation on the part of uh, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Take a listen to this. To make that apology and then to negate it by, I mean, the, the way that I, I, I feel sorry for him, that I mean, maybe he didn't know. But he, he, he didn't, he didn't know. I told him and people were killed. We went and told them. I mean, to tell me that he didn't know. I'm, I'm sad. I'm sad because I, I, I had hoped that uh, maybe he didn't know. No, maybe he didn't know. One gets a sense, Angelo, that uh, certainly from that clip, that there's a long-standing playbook here. Um, and it also, I guess, is, is sort of dusted off and repurposed uh, because there's a sense that many of those who would have been al- alive and even alive to what was happening in the TRC, uh, I guess, might have sort of uh, uh, gotten off their vigilant role. But, uh, you know, we're talking about somebody here who uh, is not only, you know, blamed for a lot of things prior to 1990, but even, I mean, if I think about the Mbendulo family in Namtata, uh, you know, the children of Stelo Mbendulo uh, and others, Mzwandi Lemfeya, Sandi Soyosa, who were all killed in a Sadaf raid in what was thought to be, you know, a base for, for the Zanian People's Organization, APLA, uh, the PAC's armed wing. Uh, and I sit here and I say, you know, even in terms of how we speak about the historiography of the man, um, you know, are we are we getting stuck in a maze here, or are we, are we being taken down a certain the beaten track? And uh, um, is this a game of confusion? Because if I listen to that clip of Desmond Tutu and I listen to you know the, the comment that his foundation made, he's certainly consistent about his disappointment in uh, you know F.W. De Klerk acting like nobody told him he wasn't aware. And on that basis, it really didn't happen. So, yes, one wants to go beyond Desmond Tutu's disappointment to one's mm. own and the rage of a generation that suffered under those last years of the paranoid apartheid state. And so the events that you mentioned are only some of the events. There were sure, incursions into Lesotho, mm. there were incursions into other parts. So, you know, those things happened. 
And FW declared dismissal and saying he didn't know any of this, which of course was part of that period when Nelson Mandela absolutely refused to believe this and manipulated him on camera live into agreeing to elections in that famous forced handshake. Mm. Those of us who lived through it now continue to think this man continues to hold on to a position. And it may very well be an echo of the position that many Germans had about events that happened between 1933 and 1945 in Germany. They simply didn't know. And it's what many black, many white South Africans say about what their experience of apartheid South Africa is, even though theirs were the sons who were in the townships in military uniform. Mm. Theirs were the fathers, uncles and brothers who did the things in Angola. Mm. Theirs were the households in which a hand was kept in a jar. Theirs were the people who, you know, knew about flux flask, worked on flux flask, mm. were involved in security. And it's not everybody. But the smoke on the horizon coming from townships, what did they think that was? And so the collective responsibility taking for what had happened and the individual responsibility taking for what had happened, that never happened in South mm. Africa, except for a very few cases of vilified scapegoats, people like Eugene de Kock mm. and others. And so it is, I think, really a waste of one's time to want something from people like sure. Ifdogli de Klerk, sure. which one is never going to get. Indeed. And he has repeatedly said he does not know. And, you know, to me, I have moved on from wanting that from him. I've moved on from wanting to hear him say mm. that he feels culpable, that he feels that's no longer sure. either intellectually or politically interesting to me because it keeps me trapped in a victimhood position and where I constantly have to beg for something from somebody that he's never going to get. Keeps you distracted. And uh, I certainly think, uh, Angela, I agree with you. There's more important things than uh, we ought to be considering uh, then a, a gentleman who I think should be tending and uh, herding his cats and maybe uh, sitting and uh, observing. Or just gently and, and silently going garden. off into the good night. Yeah, gently go off into the good night. Angela, oh, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Really appreciate it and take care. Thank you so much.